Well, good morning and welcome to Gateway. We're glad that all of you are here with us this morning, especially if it is your first time. We're glad that you've chosen to worship with us here at Gateway Taze Valley. Today is our Move Up Sunday for our kids, and so uh, overnight, all of our kids got a year older. Now, some of you might be here this morning, you just felt like you woke up a year older, but uh, so I, I say that, so uh, the main people that affects is that our preschoolers uh, that were ready, they are moved up to kindergarten, and uh, we have our elementary, uh, the fifth graders are moving up to middle school today. So Luke wanted me to make sure there weren't any fifth graders hiding in here uh, trying to dip out, okay? So uh, if you are them, then make sure you move up uh, with that. Uh, we are excited that all of you are here, not just because it's Sunday and we get to be here together, but also because uh, we are starting this new series on the themes of Revelation. And you know, if we were going for big time production value, we really wanted to make a mark, there would have been like a big clap of thunder. The lights would have like dimmed when I said, the themes of Revelation, <sighs> you know, uh, no, maybe not. Today, today we begin our journey through this book. And listen, we're only spending six weeks on this. So we can only really hit the big themes. And so if you came in, you heard that we we're doing themes of Revelation, and you were like, all of my questions about everything about the book of Revelation will be answered. I'm sorry, you're going to be let down because that's not, we don't have the time for that, okay? There's simply no way we can get into all of the issues and all of the questions we have surrounding this book. And it's not just a time issue, but also because this, those issues are usually where we get bogged down and we start arguing about whose interpretation is right and whose is heretical. And you may feel very strongly about the how and the when of Jesus' return, but we don't want to miss the forest for the trees here. Our, our prayer is that this series will whet your appetite to do some personal study on your own, and through this series, we'll cover the main points from the book. Now, if you do, though, want to do a little bit deeper dive and want to do a little more study, we are providing some extra information on our website about the different views of Revelation along with the message outline that you might want to look at. So if you scan the QR code that's on that sticker in front of you for the message outline, there's a little bit of extra this week. You can look and go a little bit deeper into it. We also have some hard copies out at Starting Point. You can grab a copy on your way out this morning. And as we go through this, if you find yourself getting upset because you believe strongly in your views on the book of Revelation, well, I want to remind you that here at Gateway, our view is that in essentials, we have unity. In non-essentials, we have liberty. And in all things, we have love. And the what's and the how's of Jesus' return, similar to whether we live on an old earth or a young earth, well, they would be classified under non-essential. Not unimportant, but non-essential. So let's have some liberty. Let's have some love with one another because we can agree on the essentials and have unity there. And so let's dive in to this last book of the Bible, the book of Revelation. And yes, there can be some confusing imagery found in this book, things that we don't quite understand, but it actually is pretty simple. We can sum it all up with just two words. Those two words are that we when, okay? You can sum the whole thing up. It, this whole confusing book, you, you thought, man, I, I've heard, I, I've tried to read this. It gets so confusing and I, I don't understand. It gets down to this. We win. Those two simple words. If you are a follower of Christ, you can say that we win or more accurately, you should say that God wins. 
Because saying that we win, well, that's kind of like when you're a fan of a sports team and you really start talking some, some trash and you're like, man, we're going to smear you. We're going we're gonna to beat you by seven touchdowns on Sunday. And you're like, uh, no, you're doing nothing. You're sitting in your chair with a cup of ice water watching, right? You are doing nothing. They might win, but you will be doing nothing. So get that we business all the way out of here. And that's kind of how it is when we describe the book of Revelation. Jesus, man, he's going to be out there doing some work. And we can say we win, but let's be honest, we're not doing anything. We're just along for the ride. We're just watching what happens. Jesus will be doing all of the work. You know, all the way back in the garden, God promised he would deal with Satan and the evil that he brings in one final, sudden, and intervening blow. And he dealt that fatal blow on the cross. And he will eventually finish the job and destroy Satan and all the evil once and for all. And that is the book of Revelation in a nutshell, that he wins. And so with that said, I guess that's it. I guess we can all stand and sing our final song now. I'll be right down front. And uh, Not really. I, I mean, it really, if that was the case, we could sum it up just that way, which... We kind of can, but if it was that simple, then you would get the next five weeks off. Maybe I should. I, I get the next five weeks off. That would be great. Uh, t- no, today we, we want to use this message as an inter- introduction into the book of Revelation and our series, The Themes of Revelation. We want to remind you why this incredible book of the Bible was written in the first place. Not to be scary, not to be confusing, but to encourage believers to remain faithful in persecution, and the persecution that they were facing day after day. See, Revelation was written by the Apostle John in the late first century, around 95 AD, when the Roman emperor Domitian was severely persecuting the Christians. And though John was advanced in age, he was still seen as a threat to the empire, and so they exiled him out to this island called Patmos in the Aegean Sea. And the persecution of Christians actually started from the Jewish leadership, something that we know from the book of Acts. Christianity was a threat to Judaism because it claimed to be the successor of the Old Testament nation of Israel, what was to come. And so these Jewish leaders, they get a little upset because they're like, man, we have all the power. This guy comes in and says, we're being replaced. We can't let that happen. We're on top. Don't let that happen to us. And so they crucify Jesus, and now they're out to eradicate this new revolutionary movement that he had started while he was here. If they could stamp out the way, that meant that they could stay in power, stay on top. And that meant that they needed to eliminate all of his followers, get rid of all these people that he had affected, to get rid of all these people we're talking about being a Christian, and that way we can stay in power. And so in the earliest years of the faith, Christians were open targets for political and physical persecution and death by the Jewish establishment. Well, the Roman Emperor Nero, he sees this and he takes advantage of this cultural hatred toward Christians and he blames the great fire of Rome in 64 AD on the Christians. Christians were under severe persecution all the way from then up until the early 4th century when Constantine took over in the Roman Empire. All those years, those hundreds of years, Christians were under severe persecution. Horrendous persecution measures were enacted upon them, and historians say that the Roman Empire killed nearly two million people simply because they followed Christ. Two million people. And you might hear that, and you might wonder, how in the world did this movement keep going if that many people were killed because they followed Christ? 
Well, we're here this morning and we know the reason that they weren't able to stop this movement. And we know that though those people died for their faith, the movement went on because the gates of hell will not stand against the church. But the second century Christian leader Tertullian said that the blood of martyrs is the seed of the church. So that means that the church actually grew during this time. Yes, they killed too many, two million people, but they could not stop it and it grew despite their best efforts. So John, he writes this book of Revelation in the midst of this tremendous persecution. And it was meant to encourage believers to remain faithful even in the face of it. Take, for instance, our focus verse this morning where Jesus says, Be faithful unto death, and I will give you the crown of life. Be faithful until death. Revelation is a book of encouragement. Yes, things are bad right now. Yes, things are about to get worse. There's going to be ridicule and pain and death and loss, but just hold on. Just keep the faith. Be faithful until death. And that might not be how you normally think of the book of Revelation. When, you, when it comes in your mind, that's probably not the first thing to pop up in, in your mind. The, the book is full of images and, and symbolic language that a lot of people can't understand or they want to glamorize to crack some calendar code for the apocalypse. Maybe you can make a major motion picture out of it if you could just understand some of these things. This imagery and, and language is a characteristic of what is called apocalyptic apocalyptic literature. And you can also find this, this type in the Old Testament books of Ezekiel or Daniel and Zechariah. You can find them in the Gospels of Matthew and Luke in the New Testament. And this imagery, it wasn't designed to trick the reader or keep believers in the dark. It may have been used to, to kind of keep the unbelieving persecutors from figuring things out, but it contains kind of like a, an insider lingo for the, for the believers to encourage the faithful. Christians use this tactic to identify themselves during these years of persecution with other symbols like the fish or the ichthus, which stood for Jesus Christ, Son of God, our Savior. They also use the Greek letters chi and rho, the first two Greek letters in Christ. I believe the first century Christians, when they would have read these words, they would have understood most everything in this book, and they would have been encouraged by it. You know, while you and I might have some trouble understanding it, it's because we're so far removed from it. It's harder for us. But the people in the first century, they would have had little trouble with it. John Ortberg, he gives a great example of this and really kind of brings it, uh, it makes it a little easier for us to understand how they would have understood it. He says, imagine you're reading a, a thousand years from now about something that happened in Chicago during our lives. And here's what you would read a thousand years from now. The bull, which once ruled the earth for 72 months, has suffered a mighty fall. For at the end of 72 months, the great right horn of the bull, whose number was 23, departed, and so did the great left horn of the bull. Then the third horn of the bull, which was pierced in many places and dressed like a woman, likewise departed. Then other beasts of the, of the earth, the hornets and the timber wolves came in and devoured the flesh of the bull and the glory of the mighty bull was laid low. Now, I'm just going to let that sit for a minute. Some of you, some of you hear that and you understood completely. You were like, I got you, I got you. Some of you are looking for that in your Bible. You're like, that's, is he reading the book of Revelation? Others of you are wondering where you're going to go for lunch today. I, it's, my guess is that if you understood it, it means two things. One, that you're over the age of 30, and two, you're a sports fan. 
or at least maybe you're just a big Nike fan, because this is, of course, a way of chronicling the rise of the Chicago Bulls and then the departure, well, the second departure, of Michael Jordan from the Chicago Bulls and their fall from the top of the NBA standings. See, Michael Jordan, obviously one of the greatest, some call him the greatest, but he was one of the greatest in the NBA, and he retired at the 19, he left the Bulls after the 1998 season, and in 1999, the Bulls were bad, and everybody laughed, right? Now, hopefully, you've at least heard the name Michael Jordan, even if you're not sure whether he scored touchdowns or home runs, uh, at least you've heard of him. And if you're still confused by all of us, well, maybe we should go to some easier reading like, well, the book of Revelation. So here we go. You know, the, the believers who first read this book when it was written, they would have understood this language and the imagery much better than us because they were alive during that time, and they better understood some of the connections being made. It's easier for us to hear about Michael Jordan and the Chicago Bulls if we were a part of it, because we remember it. We were alive for it. It was a part of our lifetime, where some 1,000 years ago, the name Michael Jordan probably won't mean anything. And so these people, they would have understood these things. They would have understood that horns are almost always a sign and a symbol of kings and kingdoms. They would have understood that the number 12 and its multiples, like 24 or 144,000, they represent or symbolize the complete people of God. 12 apostles, 24 elders. They would have understood that the number 10 and its multiples, like 1,000, it represents and symbolizes complete amounts of time, a fulfillment of time. You know, we just read in our focus verse there that, that the believers in Ephesus would have tribulation for 10 days. But we know that it wasn't meant to be a literal 10 days because their tribulation lasted for the rest of their lives and for 200 more years after that. I mean, some believers are still in tribulation today. They would have understood that the number seven represents perfection or completion. This number is all throughout the book. It's a symbolic number. There are more than seven churches in the Asia Minor. They would have understood that the number six and 666 is the number of sinful man, short of perfection. They would have understood that the number four represents the earth, the four corners, the four winds, the four living creatures. And they would have understood that the number three is God's number, the Holy Trinity. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. In addition, these first and second century believers would have been able to connect what John wrote in the book of Revelation back with what they had learned and knew of the Old Testament. Now, there are 404 total verses in all of the book of Revelation. And in those 404 verses, the Old Testament is referenced over 500 times. Now, maybe you're not great at math. So first, if you didn't know Michael Jordan and now you don't like math, this is a double whammy for you this morning. And maybe you were promised that there was going to be no math at church this morning. And so I'm just going to make it a little bit easier. Uh, 404 verses, and it was referenced over 500 times. It was referenced a lot, okay? That's, that's what it means. It's in there a lot. Now, if you have your Bible with you this morning, will you turn to Revelation chapter 1 with me? We'll be there in just a moment. You can read along with me. The Christ, those Christians living during that time that John was writing this, they not only understood the language and the symbolism better, but they believed that they were the ones living in the last days. They believed that Jesus was coming back and soon. Throughout the New Testament, the authors referred to the last days as if they were imminent, something that they expected to happen during their lifetime. 
I mean, the writers of the New Testament, including John, they didn't know that, they were, that their words would be seen by us today. They didn't know that they were writing for a 21st century audience. They were just writing for their contemporaries. They're writing for the here and now. They believed that their time was it, that Jesus was going to come back while they were still alive. And so all they knew was that Jesus was coming back, that the times were going to be tough, and that they were living in the last days. And they just had to hold on and stay strong in their faith until he came back, whenever that would be. And here's the thing. If they were living in the last days back then, then we are living in the last days today as well. So the last days, they they started when Jesus ascended and the Holy Spirit came on the day of Pentecost. So we're still in the same situation here. Jesus still hasn't come back and we still all have the Holy Spirit. And so we're still in the last days. And these days, these last days will continue until the right time when Jesus returns. That last final day that we call Judgment Day. All of the book of Revelation is pointing to that day. So the book of Revelation, chapter 1, verse 1, and it starts like this. The revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave him to show to his servants the things that must soon take place. He made it known by sending his angel to his servant John, who bore witness to the word of God and to the testimony of Jesus Christ, even to all that he saw. Blessed is the one who reads aloud the words of this prophecy, and blessed are those who hear and who keep what is written in it, for the time is near. And I don't want us to miss that last part. For the time is near. The time was near when he wrote it, and the time is near today. And so we want to share two blessings that are available to us as a result of the, this book of Revelation and through this series as well. And the first is that we will see Jesus more clearly. As we study this book, as we go through this series, we will see Jesus more clearly. Most of the time when we study the life of Christ, we go to the Gospels, the eyewitness accounts, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, the guys that wrote about what Jesus was like when he was here for the first time. And in those Gospels, what do you see a lot of? You see a lot of red text. You see a lot of red print all throughout it because the red letters indicate the words of Jesus. Maybe you didn't know that, but that's what it's there for. And maybe you also didn't know that the book of Revelation has a lot of red print in it as well. In fact, the book of Revelation has more, uh, more red print, or just as, <laughs> next to the Gospels, it has more red print than anywhere else, because these are the words of Jesus. Jesus is speaking in Revelation. And what we tend to do is focus on the life of Jesus, focus on the Jesus that we find in the Gospels. And in the Gospels, of course, Jesus is, he's fully God, he's fully human, but the humanity of Jesus is highlighted more often in the Gospels more than the deity. But in Revelation, the, di- the divinity, the deity of Jesus is seen on full display. And so we see Jesus more clearly as we study the book of Revelation. Next week, we'll see him in all of his splendor as the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. Not like he's coming back next week, like we're going to study that. Although he could come back next week. I don't know. I, I, we're going to come back to that in a second. The second blessing we're going to receive out of all this is that we will follow Jesus more closely. Knowing and believing that we will, meet, we will all meet him one day face to face, I hope that will cause us to follow him more closely. That thought that one day I will stand before him, hopefully that causes us to follow him more closely. That is the goal. Hopefully you meet him before you die or before he returns instead of waiting to meet him on judgment day. 
And so this series, this book, this church, it's all here to help us follow Jesus more closely in light of his imminent return. Verse 1 says, what soon, or what must soon take place? Soon. Soon. And that's a word that we're going to keep coming back to a number of times as we study this book together. A lot of people, they, they come to the book of Revelation, they've got this burning question, and they want to know, when? When is Jesus coming back? When is Jesus going to return? And so I ha- here's the truth. The answer is soon. And, and that word soon, that's about as specific as it gets. And some of you, that drives you crazy. Some of you, you're disappointed by that because you're like, I need to know. I need to have a date circled on my calendar. I'm a planner, right? I need to write it down to my five planners, the day that Jesus is coming back. But this is what you get. And you're just going to have to accept it soon. When are you coming back, Jesus? Soon. That's when it is. And, and, and this is what we have as we study the Word of God. And, and we ask, well, when is it going to happen? When will Jesus come back? Jesus answers, soon. It's going to happen soon. We read in Matthew 24 where Jesus is asked, when will you return? When, when will the Son of Man come again? And Jesus says, I don't know exactly, but it'll be soon. And this is the only time we ever have Jesus saying he doesn't know something. And so if even Jesus doesn't know something, then we can't know it either, right? Don't, don't fry your brain. Don't try to like calculate all the numbers or like put yourself like a bulletin board with like the yarn tying the different places, right? It's a waste of energy because if Jesus doesn't know, then you're not going to know either, right? We don't know when, but it's soon. And so before we close this morning... I can't give you that answer, but I do want to give you three things that God is going to say to you as we study this. And we don't have to agree on all the details. We don't have to, to, to come and, and, and be in unity on all of these things. We don't have to understand in one point the details of his return or how to interpret this book in order to hear these words. And so the first thing is to be warned. As you study the book of Revelation you get this clear picture of Jesus. And you hear about his soon coming return. And, and it's going to sound a little bit like a threat. Because you're going to discover that Jesus isn't some kindly grandfather that, that, that kind of tussles your hair when you make a mistake and says, well, kids will be kids. Go get them next time, champ. He, he isn't just some good old buddy who sees our sin and says, ah, that's not that big of a deal. Don't worry about it. He isn't this Mr. Rogers type figure in heaven who's walking the streets of gold saying, won't you be my neighbor wearing loafers and a sweater vest? None of that is Jesus. That's the image that we want to give Jesus because we want to feel better about our sin. No, the Jesus we read about here, he's got a sword coming out of his mouth. His eyes are on fire and he takes our sin seriously. There is nothing neighborly about what Jesus is coming as, there's nothing neighborly about how he feels about our sin. And so we'll see that this book that was written and given to the seven churches in Asia Minor, so many of these churches and the Christians were struggling with worldliness and materialism. They were struggling with compromising with their culture, just kind of going along with what was popular at the time. And we're going to find out that that is a big deal. That Jesus doesn't just kind of say, oh, well, I, you know, I, I guess it's okay. You can, you can do that. That's fine. And because of that, it's going to be a little bit of a warning about our sin, the sin that we might be entangled in, the sin we might be caught up in. For others of us, God will say to be comforted. 
Again, the believers of the first century and the first 300 years of Christianity were suffering great persecution. Now, sometimes in our country today, in our society, we feel like as Christians, we're being persecuted because the laws don't go the right way or they take something away or Hobby Lobby is not tax exempt anymore. You know, these different things, we feel persecution, but this is real severe persecution. And these people, they're obediently following Christ and they're paying a price for it. They're losing their jobs and they're losing their property and their relatives, they're rejecting them because of their faith. Many of them were killed or martyred because they believed in Jesus. And this is all facing them and they're losing their strength. And so as they say, and so as they see this picture of Jesus and they hear about the soon coming return of Christ, they're comforted by the very things that, that the people there after them feel like is threatening. They're comforted. The other people are threatened by it. And so some of you, you'll feel warned and threatened, and some of you will feel comforted, and this will be a promise. But no matter where you fall on that, for all of us, the message that we want to come away with as we study this together is ultimately to be ready. Really, all of what's called apocalyptic literature, all of these passages in Scripture that deal with the end times, the, the return of Christ, the judgment, all of these things, the point of all of it is to be ready. It really can be narrowed down, narrowed down to those two words. Yes, we can narrow down the book of Revelation to he wins, but all of this can be narrowed down to be ready. Now, that's often missed because we stop and we start to look at the imagery and we get confused by some things and we kind of lose the point. We stare at the painting, right? It's like squirrel. We get, our attention gets taken away. We get caught up in chasing some trail and we miss that the whole point of all of this is not arguing about the stuff or trying to figure it all out or when the date is. The whole point is to prepare us so that we are ready when Christ returns. We don't know the exact time. But the Bible definitely gives us some signs of when that'll be and gives us some ideas of what it will look like. And maybe you look at that and you say, man, we're living in it now. Do you see all the signs? It's happening in our world today. Jesus is coming soon. I look at what's happening in our world today and then I look at the book of Revelation. It's happening. He's coming back soon. I think it's going to happen real soon. But look, if you study the history of this, every generation has interpreted the signs of their time and pointed and looked at the book of Revelation and said, he's coming in my generation. I can feel it. But you know what? I think that's intentional. I think that's on purpose. I think it's because Jesus wants, to live, wants us to live with an eye on the sky type of spirit where we're always ready. Jesus said in Luke 12, 40, you must also be ready because the Son of Man will come at an hour when you do not expect him. And that's going to be a challenge for us to be ready. And I don't know what you need to do to get ready or to be ready, but whatever that is, that should be the most important thing on your to-do list. That should take priority. That should move to the top, above cleaning the garage, above washing the car, you know, like that should be at the top of our list. Whatever it takes for us to get ready, we should do it and be ready. The whole point of this life is to prepare us for the next. And if you're not ready for the return of Jesus, then you're missing the whole point and purpose of why you're here on this earth. Maybe you need to put your faith in Jesus and trust him for salvation by believing the gospel and repenting of your sins and being baptized into Christ. You need to stop putting it off for a later time. There's no better day than today to, than to commit your life to Christ and surrender over to him to, that from this day forward, you would be ready because you're living for Christ.
Or maybe in order to get ready, you need to stop being a lazy Christian who sits in a chair and comes to church once a weekend if nothing else gets in the way, if there are no other plans. And you're kind of working your way up maybe to, to tithing and maybe, maybe one day I'll be able to share my faith and talk to my neighbor and actually let them know, my coworkers know that I'm a Christian. Being ready means you're going to put that definition of your Christianity to death, that it's going to go away and you're going to fully surrender over to Jesus Christ and you're going to commit yourself to living for him in a sacrificial way, in a way that is a surrender where every day, whatever he wants for your life is what you want. Not my will be done, Lord, but yours. So what does that look like? What does the next step look like? How do you get ready in your faith? How do you live intentional with your faith? Whatever that is, it's time to do it and get ready. And for some of you, being ready means you say, I'm going to stop living for this world, and I'm going to put my sights on heaven and my hope in Jesus Christ, and I'm going to find a deep-seated joy, and I'm going to find a peace for the years that I have left here because I know that this place isn't my home. I know that this world isn't what I was made for, that heaven is my home, that spending eternity with my Father is my ultimate goal, and whatever's going on in my life right now, I will see a victory over it because God rules over all. This morning, if you're here and you don't know where you stand, I, I, we need to be ready. And this isn't, this isn't me threatening you. This isn't the words of Brian. This is the words of the Bible from Revelation. The, the inspired word of God says these things. And we, like, we don't like to hear these things sometimes, but the truth is one day it's coming. One day it will run out and we need to all be ready, whatever that looks like for our life. Let's pray. Father God, we come this morning and we're so thankful that we follow a God that is the ruler of, of all. That one day, the evil of this world will all fade away. That you will conquer all of it. That your son Jesus will come And he will reign supreme over Satan and all the evil he has brought into this world. And Father, what a great day that'll be because no longer will we have to suffer through the persecution and the tribulation that we go through in this life. No longer will we have these troubles. No longer will we have to deal with sickness and death and pain. No longer will we have to do deal with the effects of evil in this world. Father, one day your son Jesus will come and one day we will get to spend eternity in, you, in heaven with you where none of those things exist. Something I have trouble comprehending sometimes because I don't know what, a what living in a place without any sin even, I can't even imagine that. I can't imagine how great that's going to be. Father, I thank you that you love us so much that you would send your only Jesus, your only son, Jesus, to die on the cross for us, to forgive us of all of our sins. And that on the third day, he was resurrected so that each day I could live with the hope knowing that I, there is more than just this world, that this place is not my home, and that I can conquer over the things that are facing me 
that they can't take away my salvation, they can't take away the love that you have for me. And so even on the darkest of days, I know there is still light because of Jesus. So Father, as we leave here this morning, I, I, I pray that we would open our hearts, that your, your Holy Spirit would be working within us, convicting us of the things that we need to, to move out of the way in order to be ready for, for the return of your son, Jesus. I feel like all of us have things that we know are standing in the way from us being ready. And I just pray that we would listen to your spirit this morning for the unique message that you have for each one of us, that we would open up our hearts and we would get ourselves all ready. Father, I thank you for your immense love and for the amazing grace that comes through your son, Jesus. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You know, at Gateway, we, we're not really a, a, a fire and brimstone type of church. We're not, a, we're, we're not really a turn or burn. You can find plenty of those, I'm sure. But the honest truth is that we're not doing this to, like, be tough. We're not, we're, we don't talk about this to, like, puff ourselves up. You know, it, it's the Word of God. And sometimes we don't like to hear that. Sometimes that's a hard thing to hear. Sometimes it's a scary thing to hear. But the truth is the truth. And as much as the truth of the, of, of the Jesus in the Gospels is, is the Jesus in Revelation. So if you're here this morning and you don't have that relationship with Jesus, for I said it's no better day than today to surrender to him, make him the Lord and the King of your life, and to say from this day forward, I want to follow Jesus. And you can submit yourself over to him and accept him as your King and your Lord and your Savior. And we can baptize you today that you would be a new creation as you walk out of here. We can all celebrate with you that you said, I want to follow Jesus in all that I do. And I'm ready. If you've already made that decision, or whether you have or you haven't, or you just need some prayer this morning, you know, God has given us this amazing gift of prayer. And we've talked a lot about the things that are facing us in this life and the victories that we need to, need to see in our life, we hope to see in our life. And part of all that is that God has given us this amazing gift of prayer, this amazing weapon against the forces, the spiritual forces of evil that are surrounding us. That we, He invites us this amazing God invites us into a personal relationship where we can hand over our cares, our anxiety, all of our burdens over to him so that we can have life now because our God is taking care of it. So if you are dealing with something, maybe somebody close to you is dealing with something, you just need to pray about it. I would love to stand next to you and just lift it up to God because he is the one that can truly do something about it. Our God will never fail. And it may be in different ways than we thought, but he's always there and he's always working. So I'd love to pray with you this morning. If you have a decision to make or you just need some prayer, I'll be right down front. I'd invite all of us to stand and sing our final song together now.